the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. All right, welcome back to the program. Hour number two here on this Wednesday edition of Lifeline. Coming up on Saturday, January the 26th, it will be the 15th annual Walk for Life West Coast. And I remember when the founders of Walk for Life West Coast were in this very studio 15 years ago saying, well... We're going to try this and hope a couple of people show up. (laughs) Fifteen years later, it's the largest such pro-life march in the entire country. And, of course, it always features uh, music and uh, lots of wonderful keynote speakers and the the march from uh, Justin Herman Plaza to the Civic Center. Is it the other way around? I had changes sometimes. Any anyway, event, you can get details on the web at Walk for Life WC for West Coast, walkforlifewc.com. One of the keynote speakers that will be addressing the group this year has an amazing testimony. It's a heartbreaking testimony in many respects. Her name is Patricia Sandoval, and she joins us now by phone. Patricia, thanks for being with us tonight. Part of your testimony, aside from your own experiences, with abortion is the fact that you worked for a time for Planned Parenthood. How did all that come about? Thank you so much for having me on the show. And yes, I actually, my story is compelling because I kind of, I'm kind of on both sides of the coin where I suffered uh, three abortions. I was lied and deceived and told there was no life inside of my womb, that it was just a sack of tissue. And one of my abortions, I actually went to Planned Parenthood. And I thought as a teen that Planned Parenthood was my hero. I mean, I thought they kind of had my back. Um, I, you know, they always gave free services, um, free contraceptives and all these things. And I wanted to go work for them because I wanted to give back. Um, I wanted to help the youth. I wanted to help women. And when I worked for them, I actually realized that they didn't care about women. They didn't care about the fathers. They didn't care about the youth. And the only thing they cared about were numbers, numbers of abortions. Um, they had to have a type, you know, a certain amount of abortions monthly. And I was actually trained um, as a, a, a nurse, a back office nurse, but I never went to school or had the credentials of a nurse. I was actually just a receptionist um, at the time, and they gave me the job as a nurse, a back office nurse, to assist during the abortions. So I was actually trained to manipulate and lie to the women, um, never use the word baby, he, she, mother or father, um, never let the woman see the ultrasound, and I was told to never tell a soul what I saw behind the doors of Planned Parenthood. The first time I assisted an abortion, I really thought that I was going to look for a sack of tissue. After the abortion, my job was to grab the bag that it was attached to a, the abortion machine. They took me to a back room, and there was a large Petri dish, and I was to dump out the contents of that bag onto the Petri dish, and I really thought that I would find a sack of tissue of lava cells, but when I came across a child that was in pieces, that's where it was very heartbreaking to see the truth. 
to face my truth that I didn't abort three children or three sack of tissues. I aborted three children that were my own. And I can tell you that working at Planned Parenthood is a step before entering hell. It is a total holocaust. It's a nightmare. And it's, it's very sad how these people lie to women and they take the lives of innocent babies. Well, what's in your opinion... Patricia, the real agenda here, because Planned Parenthood promotes it as an organization that is just about choice. We're, we're just we're here to defend and facilitate a woman's choice. Well, choice says to me options. Do you want uh, your eggs scrambled or over easy? Would you like, uh, you know, uh, <laughs> coffee with uh, caffeinated or decaffeinated? Whatever it is, it's, it's a choice. But you're, what you're suggesting here is that at Planned Parenthood, when you got on the inside and you were working for them, you were told, don't have discussions with these women about any options. It's simply a matter of cajoling them, essentially, into uh, move forward with the abortion don't ever talk about anything else but simply that. So it seems to me that the notion of choice is then suddenly out the window. And there also seems to be a tremendous degree of duplicitness in them uh, essentially trying to dehumanize the process of what's taking place here. I mean, if if all of this can be proven medically and scientifically, that what's happening here in abortion is the taking of a life, that it's not a blob of tissue, that's not like pulling the sack out of the back of, you know, uh, the chicken with the giblets in it or the turkey at, at, at Christmas time with the giblets in it. It's an actual baby. If we know that, why does Planned Parenthood work so hard to not only conceal the truth from the women that come through its doors, but apparently obliterate any vestige of real, true options and instead essentially force them into making decisions oftentimes they don't even understand. Right. Well, abortion, as we know, is a big moneymaker. Um, it's a big it's a big business for Planned Parenthood, unfortunately, and that's why they lie to the women. I mean, I was told to never bring photographs of my family members, of my nephews, my nieces, or my cousins, because if a woman would walk in and see a picture of a family, she can get traumatized and she would walk out. I was actually threatened with my jaw. They told me if a woman didn't make it to her, to her appointment for her abortion that I could be fired because I had to actually counsel the women and I had to prep them and motivate them to come to the abortion. A lot of women tell me, a lot of women that are pro-abortion tell me, you know, you know, it's my body, it's my choice. And I would, I would like them. I tell them, you know what, I can relate to you because I would like you. But pro-lifers are not here to take away your choice. We're here to bring back your choice, to bring back the truth, because pro-lifers, what we fight for is for women to know the truth, to see their ultrasound, to know it's a baby, to know that they are mothers, and even the fathers, to know that they're a father, to know that they have an obligation to defend the life of their child. And what Planned Parenthood does is actually take choices away. They don't give you any options. And pro-lifers, we're here to give back your choice. You know, you know let me let me interrupt you, Patricia, because when you when you described the fact that they would not allow you to have photographs of family members, particularly children, um, on your desk, I, I happened to look up at the moment and I watched the sudden scowl come across the face of my engineer, who who, who visually responded to that in the same level of disbelief that I had. Uh, you know, I work here in an office. 
We all have, I haven't taken a survey, but I think if I went through every office in this building, with very few exceptions, everybody has pictures of kids and grandkids and spouses and so forth somewhere either hanging on the wall or sitting on their desk. I certainly do. And that's a normative thing. And you're telling me that even the notion, the organization that in its title is parenthood suggesting family, and they show the stick figure drawings of of family. So you're telling me that at the end of the day, that's more like public relations. That's more like PR work, because the reality is they don't want to remind the women coming through the door for an abortion that this is family that you're carrying in you. This is a relative. It's actually your own child. And so any possibility of seeing a photograph of a young child or a baby on somebody's desk that could trigger the the connection back to real reality, is that a word? Back to reality, they wanted to eschew or avoid that. That's unbelievable. They, they wanted to eschew their abortion. I was actually denied. I, I couldn't even be friends with the patient. Now, I worked in the medical field before Planned Parenthood, and I was always trained that patient care was number one, that I had to be compassionate, understanding, and, and very... Um, you know, I had to make, I had to be very friendly to patients. And here they told me, most of the women will come in terrified. Most of the women will come in with tears in their eyes because they're looking for someone to help them. They're looking for another option. And you, Patricia, are not allowed to look at them in the eyes while they're crying. You're not allowed to be friendly or make friends with them because there is no other option. They're waiting for either the nurse, the receptionist, the doctor to look at the woman and say, why are you crying? You don't have to do this. There are other options. No, Patricia, there's no other options but the abortion. So I was actually denied um, friendship with patients. I couldn't be friendly. I couldn't be compassionate. And I was not allowed to look at them in the eyes, especially if they were crying. Wow. Um, It was completely different from the training that I had received in other medical offices. Well, it certainly demonstrates a major agenda at foot. And um, Patricia is going to share more of that backstory, along with her own personal story, how that by the time she was 22 years old, she wound up having had three abortions from the age of 19 to 22. And uh, we, we, won't, we don't have the time now to get into all those details, but gives you a good reason to attend the 15th annual Walk for Life West Coast, taking place Saturday, January the 26th. In San Francisco, we invite you to get more information. We'll be talking, of course, about the walk in the coming days and weeks leading up to the 26th. Meanwhile, this is one of the uh, delightful and inspiring keynote messages, and, and sobering, I might add, too, that you will hear at the 15th Annual Walk for Life West Coast again Saturday, January the 26th, 2019, in San Francisco. Details and more information available at walkforlifewc.com. That's walkforlifewc.com. Patricia, we just had a couple of moments to get to know you tonight. I'd love to invite you back on if we can't do it prior to the Walk for Life, maybe afterwards, where we can spend a lot more time, go more in depth, and give you an opportunity to uh, to talk with our listeners and share more of your story. Would you be willing to do that? Oh, I would love to come back on your show. And I also want to invite the listeners to go onto my website. It's www.patriciasandoval.com. And I have a book that just came out last year called Transfigured, and it's an, it's an, it's an amazing book. It has saved many lives, 
And I also want to recommend the book and people to visit my website. There's a ton of videos um, and interviews on my testimony. And thank you so much for having me on the show. All right. Sounds like some great resources. And we'll we'll bring you back, Patricia, so we can talk about the book as well. Uh, Again, her website, Patricia Sandoval, S-A-N-D-O-V-A-L, PatriciaSandoval.com. One of the keynote speakers at the upcoming 15th annual Walk for Life West Coast taking place Saturday, January the 26th. Information on the web at Walk for Life WC for West Coast, WalkForLifeWC.com. Thanks, Patricia, so much for sharing part of your story. Wow. Don't even leave pictures of your family or your nephews or nieces on the desk because that might remind... Wow. Okay. Reality check, huh? Let's get a reality check on traffic right now. Michael Bennett's got the latest. Michael? Hey, man, who's that cat coming down the street? I don't know, but it sounds to me like that different man with the bone. Sure having himself a ball. I could just let this roll for the rest of the show. Some listeners might even prefer the idea. There, of course, Sweet Georgia Brown, the theme song of the Harlem Globetrotters. They return to the San Francisco Bay Area six games starting January 12th through Martin Luther King Jr. Day, January the 21. You can get tickets at Ticketmaster.com. They'll be performing at the SAP Center in San Jose and the Oracle Arena in Oakland. Right now, we've got tickets to see the Harlem Globetrotters on Monday the 21st at the SAP Center in San Jose. We've got a family four-pack for you and the family to enjoy. Great way to enjoy Martin Luther King Day with the family. Monday, January 21, SAP Center in San Jose. Caller number 11 wins. Oh, oh, the phone number. Oh, that would help, huh? (laughs) Said Jarrell just kind of erased the phone number off the bottom there, figured, well, if I never gave the number out, nobody would call. He'd take the tickets for himself. We figured out your scheme. Triple eight three six seven five three two nine wins. Eight 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 three six seven five three two nine. Triple eight F O R K F A X. Caller number eleven. Four tickets to see the Harlem Globetrotters Monday, January twenty one in San Jose. Call right now. All right. While you're calling. We heard, of course, earlier in the program, our discussion related to the federal judge who said no to the mandate. And as a result, the unconstitutionality of the Affordable Care Act. Obamacare, at least for the moment, down in flames. The big question becomes, okay, what now? Joining me is Dr. Roger Klein, physician, attorney, and expert on the Federalist Society Regulatory Transparency Projects, FDA, and Health Working Group. Dr. Klein, we appreciate you taking time to be with us today. I I know that the whole issue of affordable care and Obamacare has really been a a sticking point, not only for Congress, not only for many individuals, but also for physicians and hospitals and health care providers. Now that this judge has struck down the ACA. From your perspective, what logically needs to happen next? Well, the idea, uh, in my in my view, is really to to try to reform uh, the existing system that we have in order to empower patients to really put the patients back into the driver's seat and allow and and have patients make make choices and. Uh, about how to spend funds. The the idea would be to take 
what we have now, which is really a system of prepaid health, and turn it into a system of insurance where unpredictable, non-routine, and potentially very, uh, very large expenditure uh, uh, problems would be covered by insurance. But then uh, other shoppable services would be in the hands of the consumer who would make choices and, and try to create, uh, the idea would be to create a vibrant market that is uh, characterized by competition. And does that uh, and also that include giving, giving patients um, a, a greater sense of, of not only um, um, responsibility here and accountability here, but authority as well. And I ask that question because, you know, it, it runs the gambit where either you've got some nameless, faceless, faceless bean counter somewhere saying no to tests that your doctor says are absolutely necessary. And then on the other extreme, you have individuals who start to come down with a cough, so they decide to run to the ER where it costs thousands of dollars to be treated when they could have simply called a doctor and said, hey, doc, what should I do? and they give you a, an over-the-counter medication and the cough is gone. Yeah, yes, exactly. I, it, the, the problem with the system that we have today is everything is it, it's over-reliant on third-party payers to, to a degree that, it, that it exists nowhere else uh, in, our, in our society. And it, it's a very expensive and uh, uh, very um, uh, inefficient way to, to do things. What it does is it takes it, it, it takes the decision-making out of the hands of the individual, the consumer, the patient, and places it in the hands of, of bureaucrats. And it, it, it's really not, it's, it's not, the, not the best way to, uh, to, to run a system, not, not only for, for those reasons, uh, for cost and efficiency, but, but for quality and, and for, for the sense of, um, of control that really a patient should have, a, a consumer should have, in uh, in selection of healthcare services, how, how did this key major point, Doctor Klein, that you're making? How did it get left out of all the debate, all the discussions that took place leading up to the passage of the ACA? I mean, this 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 issue of of not only patient freedom but also a greater degree of a patient ca- accountability and less of the third party involvement seems to be fundamental to reforming the system. And yet, th- this was never apparently part of the discussion. Why? Well, it certainly wasn't with respect to the ACA, and of course, the Democrats tend to have a very different outlook, and they they like they they many Democrats tend to favor a high degree of government control over the system, over the dollars, and 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 so the the, the individual is not at the center of, of that type of system, uh, and but but I, I think but it has been a part of the Republican this Republican discussion. Uh, what we're really talking about are things like medical savings accounts, other vehicles where patients end up spending their own money. It actually doesn't, th- th- this has nothing to do with who funds it uh, in, in many respects. It can be an employer who puts money into an account that's, that has to be spent for health services, for example, until somebody turns 65 and retires, in which case they own it. it the, the point is, is who puts, who, it isn't. It's less important as to who puts the money into the account than that the patient or consumer owns that, owns the money. And it may be earmarked. It might be dedicated and must be used, for example, for a period of time for health care services. But the patient has to own it so that at some point, for example, if you spend it wisely, you get to keep it. And I think that that's 
fundamentally, that's what we need to do is we need to we need to learn once again to treat health care the way we treat every other aspect of our lives. And we make our own decisions with our own money. And, and and as a result. Well, and you've written an op-ed op piece that, that I think at the end of the day, uh, ideally would liken it to, uh, let's talk about uh, automobile maintenance for a moment. So, you know, I, I routinely take my car in for oil changes, things of this sort. If it needs something minor like a new battery, I, I don't go to the insurance carrier and say, I need a new battery, cough up the money. I pay for the battery. I handle the day-to-day -day routine maintenance. Now, if I get into a major auto automobile accident that's cost hundreds or thousands of dollars to, to do repairs on my vehicle, then the insurance kicks in. So are you suggesting something like that where there's a little bit more accountability across the board, particularly when it comes to, to the insured individual? Because I know a lot of people right now, they pay nothing and it doesn't, doesn't cause them to hesitate one iota to run down to the ER if they get a slight cough, as I suggested earlier. Likewise, there are people that, that for whom uh, have severe medical bills and are brought to the point of bankruptcy because they're dealing with uh, an accident, injury, or maybe cancer, and unfortunately, their health care is inadequate to cover all the expenses. Precisely. You, you're, you, you hit on the point. You, your analogy is right on point. And it, it, this is, the, the, the fundamental problem is, is if you don't have a system like that where people people are in the driver's seat, people are making their choices, their individual health care decisions, you, you have a, 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 a system that all drivers are, are, are to spend money. So everything is to spend. You have, you, you have prepaid health, so you have an incentive to use it. The provider really has limited, the provider makes money from it in many cases and has, has little incentive to try to restrain costs. So you have bureaucrats who do that in an arbitrary way, because otherwise it becomes completely unaffordable. But but if you if you had to have an insurance company pay for your gas fill-ups in your automobile, you would have a network of gas stations, and you could use your preferred network, and some would be in, and some would be out, and you would have different price. You wouldn't know what the prices are like today. They wouldn't tell you because you'd have a negotiated price with your insurance if it's in. And this is the, the, the exact situation we're in in healthcare. We have no idea what things cost. We have very, most of us have very little incentive to try to shop it or to try to get the best price. And it, it, it really is a, it, it's a, it's a very, very poor way to run, uh, to, to, to run a system. It's better to put people at the center and let individuals make those decisions. And I think, Dr. Klein, your point toward full disclosure is is pivotal to all of this because, and I think most people eavesdropping on our conversation tonight would agree, there's no other service, there's no other product that we purchase that we don't know the price going in, save healthcare. I mean, if you're going to go in and buy a new couch, right? You walk into the showroom floor, you and your wife, you and your husband pick out the couch that you like, you know what the price is going to be. You buy a new car, you know exactly what the price is going to be. By law, if you're buying it on time, they have to disclose what the interest rates are, what the monthly payment is going to be, what the total amount of interest and the total amount of the actual cost of the car will be by the time you've paid it off at the end of the loan. That's called full disclosure. There is no such thing that exists in healthcare. So if you start an experience like I did three years ago where the doctor said, gee, we think we found a polyp that could be cancerous, you don't know until the final bill has been paid what it's going to cost you. 
and you have no capacity along that way to say, gee, are there things that I can do that would save some money, spend it where it needs to be spent, but save it where it needs to be saved? It's about empowering the consumers, essentially the argument that Dr. Klein is making. If you want to get more information about um, this new op-ed piece um, and his viewpoint that really takes you down to uh, a deeper understanding of not just what the problem is, but what some of the solutions are, uh, you can check him out online. Roger D. Klein, K-L-E-I-N, RogerDKlein.com. And we thank Dr. Klein for being with us on that segment of Lifeline. All right. Five, no, six, 632. Time flies when you're having fun. Let's get look at the traffic out there. Jarrell, don't laugh at me. It's a new year. I'm entitled to make a few new year mistakes. Right? There you go. <laughs> Let's see what's going on. Help Michael Bennett bail me out. Do something, please. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. You heard on the program news the lawmakers here in California are considering changes to some 34 statutes by, quote, redefining the definition of gender to also include a person's gender expression, close quote. Uh, this on the heels of word that a district here in California, school district, um, would allow children, boys and girls, to identify as boys, girls, or undecided. Now... You talk about uh, creating confusion amongst kids at a time with anything uh, was needed. We need better clarification, better understanding. Some would argue that what's happened here is instead of emancipating a man to be the kind of men and uh, that that God has called them to be, to be the kind of fathers that God has called them to be, the kind of husbands that God has called them to be, instead our modern culture is emasculating them. We take a look at some insights on this topic. Don Otis joins us on the program. Of course, he's a well-known, best-selling author, many, many years involved in High Adventure Ministries, which his dad founded uh, there, broadcasting uh, Christian programming, both radio and television, uh, literally to the totality of the Middle East. Don joins us to talk about his new book, Whisker Rubs, Developing the Masculine Identity. And Don, it's always great to have you on the show. Greg, it's always good to be on with you. You've been doing this for a few years, haven't you? A, a day or two now, yeah. I think we're going to turn a corner into about 20, it'll be 23 years this November, wow. if you'll tolerate me that long. That's a, that's Wow, that's a long time. And you're a multitasker, I think, because I think you have some technical skills, yeah. too, if I remember correctly. One or two. You got a, you got a good memory. Hey, Don, let's talk about this topic, one that I, you know, ought to capture the attention of, of not just guys in the audience, but women, too. You know, it's funny. You talk to some of the, the single gals around the office, and they say, gee, if men would only be men, boy, how come we just can't find guys these days that understand and appreciate what it means to be a responsible man, an accountable man, a man that loves God with all his heart, mind, soul, lives like it, acts like it, and, uh, and understands what being a man's man is? You know, I, I, I mentioned Maureen Dowd's book, Are Men Necessary? Uh, when Sexes Collide, and, and Peggy Drexler's book, Raising Boys Without Men, I think. You know, during the World War II generation, when many men were, were fighting and, and giving their lives on the beaches of, uh, of France, uh, nobody was asking, are men necessary? They were saying, thank God for men. Thank God that they're, they're stepping up. Now, what we do in popular culture, in, in the media, certainly on sitcoms, is we just deride men. We, we tear them down. And then we expect them to be protectors and providers for us. 
and I'm thinking, you know, you can't have it both ways. You either have to accept the the, the benefits of a man who's masculine, or you or you uh, you continue to tear him down and and uh, make him into something that God certainly never intended him to be. Uh, you certainly live in an area, and I worked with Exodus International for five years, uh, doing public relations for them when they were there in San Rafael. And this is an organization that that deals with gender issues. It deals with the struggle that many men feel um, in our culture. And and we think because of the no-fault divorce laws back in the early 70s that that's had no impact whatsoever on how men men identify themselves. I mean, it's had an enormous sociological uh, impact on our culture. Well, and and so often, you know... Women, single-parent families where women are the predominant... um, raising boys and they don't know what what it means to me to be masculine these kids grow up and they're confused you know and sadly don the, the so-called feminist movement that that saw its birth of things like the equal rights amendment in the 1970s mm-hmm. you know as much as it was paraded as 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 creating a, an atmosphere in which women can capture rights and be treated more fairly etc cetera, etc cetera, you know but instead of becoming the great equalizer there are some levels where it's ended up uh, literally, at least in my observation, uh, emasculating a lot of men because now all of a sudden, well, we don't have to be responsible. We're not held to be accountable. We don't have to be fathers to our children. We don't have to be husbands to our wives. If it's uh, you know too inconvenient, we'll run out, get a divorce, or let the television set raise our sons. Well, and, and I hate to say this because it's going to come off sounding wrong, but the reality is that the the black community has seen this happen. And what, what, what you find is, is a, a huge percentage of, of black children who are born without the benefit of a father. What we're saying as a culture is, hey, we'll give you, we'll give you free government services and, and we'll become the father for you because we realize that um, somebody's got to step to the plate and do it. Instead of saying, hey, look, fathers have to become responsible for their own families and, and step to the plate. And, and, and be there for their kids, be there for their wives. I say this in the book, that it's it, that God's mandate for, for men, for masculine, gender, male, is to be protectors and providers. You can't be a protector and be a wimp. You just can't do it. And if you, if you emasculate a man, then he's not going to be a very good uh, protector. So <clears throat> that's kind of what we're doing in our culture, is we've taken away... Um, men's ability, uh, certainly within the church as well. Uh, and we look at God and we look at all of the feminine uh, gender qualities and attributes of God, his love, his mercy, his kindness, his grace, all of which are true about God. But we forget about some of those other uh, attributes of who God is, his power, his strength, his might, his, his jealousy, his judgment, his righteousness. Those are kind of more masculine qualities and, and, and uh so what we do is we pick and we choose both, you know, our perspective of God as well as our perspective of, of the way dads ought to be in our culture. And how interesting it is to know that as much as we've seen this trend, you know, recently in in, in years uh, on an increasing basis here, this move toward encouraging men to find, you know, their feminine side, their gentle side, the softer side, etc., cetera, etc., cetera. Uh, and, and in that process, I think they have completely abandoned some of the more traditional roles. Of, of, of the guy as the protector, the leader, the provider, the defender of wife and family and all the responsibilities as God designed a man to have. We've completely let these guys, in a sense, sort of off the hook as they're out to explore their feminine side. And in the end, no one is picking up the baton here, are they? And I, 
and I'm not against I'm not against uh, teaching boys to be sensitive. I'm not against men learning to be uh, thoughtful and considerate, and and not acting like Neanderthals. Certainly, that's not what we're talking about. <clears throat> what we're talking about, I think, is 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 men kind of really stepping up and and being leaders. And I'm not talking about control freaks, but being the leaders that God really has intended them to be. You know, I, I think part of the, the frustration that I have with what happened with feminism is it was a pendulum swing that probably needed to happen uh, on some level, but it went too far. And so what happened in, in the process is that, that many men, and this is especially true of Christian men, is they felt like, hey, you know, we can't complain about this. We just have to suck it up and learn to live with it. And so what they did is they, they just sort of walked away from their responsibilities or they, they went into uh, their own little closets, emotionally speaking, and stopped communicating because they didn't know what to do. They didn't know how to ex- express what they felt because they'd be called wimps and whiners and sissies. And that's not what men want to feel like. So, you know, by sending that pendulum swing all the way, all the way in the other direction, you know, we have become something that I don't think God ever intended. And uh, that's part of the way our, our culture's gone. Now we're looking at far more. And here's the trend, Craig, that, that, that I'm seeing. 20 years from now, probably 10 years from now is more realistic. And even you can look at what's happening in the GOP debates last night with Sarah Palin and the new Minnesota governor, and and you can see how women are are earning on average twenty five percent more degrees, uh, bachelor's degrees than than men are. There's nothing wrong with that. I think it's great. But what's going to happen is we're going to see that there's going to be a lot more positions where women are in leadership, CEOs of corporations, uh, taking over in the military, taking over in politics and the government and, and the judicial system. I'm not again. I'm not saying that's wrong or that's bad or that the pendulum swing is has not been necessary on some on some level. But men are really falling behind right now, and I think a lot of it has to do with with the way that they feel like they've been treated since the early 70s. And let's be clear in making the distinction here, Don. We're not talking about teaching men how to, you know, engage in bathroom humor amongst the boys and, you know, learn how to crush empty aluminum cans on their forehead, things of this sort. It's not teaching men to be Neanderthals, but rather teaching men to be more responsible, more accountable for their actions and roles and duties and responsibilities as husband, as father, as leader, etc. We'll take a time out. Our conversation with Beth Selling author Don Otis continues from KFAX. Get you an update on traffic. Michael Bennett in the KFAX Traffic Center. Michael. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. Back tonight with best-selling author Don Otis. We're talking about uh, men. We're talking about the need to develop the masculine identity for men. Again, this is not some kind of a crazy, goofball, over-the-top, macho thing uh, where guys engage in bathroom humor all day long and, and uh, you know, crush uh, aluminum cans on their forehead. Rather, teaching men to be better husbands and better fathers um, and, and to do so in a godly fashion um, in a day and an age when we're seeing, as we mentioned before, 
before, Don, so many aspects of our society that instead of, of calling men to become accountable and to be responsible for their actions, to be men's men and responsible as such, uh, you know, he, here we are, you know, we're giving kids an option. You can be boys, you can be girls, you can be undecided. I never thought that that was physically possible as an option for children, but apparently some people in the schools districts here in California have figured all of that out. And meanwhile, with fathers and husbands lampooned in popular culture, look at some of the shows that run on uh, Fox, for example, Sunday nights. Is it any wonder that guys are getting the the impression, boys are getting the impression they don't really need to be accountable for any of their actions to anyone? You know, and and you're you're hitting a number of really important uh, uh, issues here, but I think the bottom line is that we we need to embrace the fact that there are differences, and those differences are okay. So it's okay, for example, if a little boy in school is a little rambunctious, uh, we don't have to give him Ritalin, and 90% of the Ritalin drugs in our public education system go to little boys. <clears throat> that's just uh, that's just trying to tame the maleness out of them. That's my perspective. Or in some cases, they're just uh, blowing out because things aren't working for them at home. <clears throat> but I think culturally, you know, I, I, I did an interview years ago with Dr. Joseph Nicolosi, who's the guy who uh, coined the term reparative therapy. This is for gays and lesbians who want to come out of a gay or lesbian lifestyle. But he said 100% of the men that he works with uh, have had uh, bad relationships with their dads. We're talking about the responsibility and the roles of fathers in the lives of their children. And in most cases, in his, in, in Nicolosi's perspective, 100% of the time, uh, a father can have uh, uh, the effect of, of keeping his kids from going into a, a, a gay lifestyle. That's just, <clears throat> that's not my opinion. That's just something that, that, that he, he found in, in years worth of therapeutic work. Um, it says that the role of the father is significant. You go into our, our prison systems, and I live in a, in a county where <clears throat> the uh, Fremont County, Colorado, where the state and the federal supermax prisons are here. There's 14 state and federal penitentiaries and regional penitentiaries in this area. Uh, many of the men that are in these facilities uh, are in there because they haven't had the, 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 the gentle control and love and appreciation that a father brings to the life of his son. And I think that's what we're desperately missing. And I think we want to believe, and I, you know, and I, in saying this, Craig, what I'm going to say is going to, it's not going to come off well for a lot of people listening. But, but the reality is, God never intended that either uh, a single dad raise uh, a daughter or that a single mom raise a son. There's many single parents out there that are doing the best job they know how to do, and for the most part. Uh, they're do- they're doing it uh, as unto the Lord and, and and struggling to find their way and, and understand how to uh, impart masculine concepts to their to their uh, you know adolescent sons. But the reality is that's not the way God intended it to be. It's very difficult to say, hey, we'll we'll put them in scouts or we'll put them in a sports team. Really, that's not it's not the panacea for solving a lot of the problems that we have in our culture. Well, and clearly we're seeing that because of the delinquency rate, the divorce rate. We're looking at, you know, skyrocketing numbers of people that are getting caught first time offenses. And then once they get into the system, the rate of recidivism is absolutely off the charts. Absolutely. We can't build these prisons fast enough. And then you sit down typically with most of these offenders first time or multiple time out, start probing into their childhood and find out, well, yeah, my mother had 
had I got four different siblings from three different fathers, and that's exactly and, right. You know, there's there was never any father present in the household, and so these kids just learned that you know being a macho guy was going out with a gun, and you know, uh, getting involved in in, in uh, you know the temptation games within gangs and so forth in order to to qualify for gang membership, and that to them is yeah. the only. Uh, male role modeling, Don, they've ever expo- that, that, been exposed to. You're, you're exactly right. And, 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 you know, if it was any other issue within our culture, and we look at the, we look at the child abuse rate, we look at the uh, poverty rate, we look at precocious sexual activity rate, we look at failure in the school system, we look at uh, incarceration rates, all of those things are directly related to the lack of having a father in the household. That's an amazing uh, series of statistics. We're ignoring it, and we're ignoring it because we don't want to believe it. We want to believe that, hey, we can do whatever we want. We can define family in any way that we want to define it, and it's okay. In fact, as you said at the beginning of the program, we can define what gender is. I mean, I, I looked at Chaz Bono, for example, on a Piers Morgan show a couple of weeks ago, and I thought, are you kidding me? I mean, how does this work for you? You know, first you think you're a lesbian, then you're not sure, then you're confused, and now you, you've got a girlfriend. I mean, seriously, this has gone beyond a point of, of, of making any sense whatsoever in our society. And if we think it has no impact, gender identity confusion is a huge issue. And fathers play a significant role in the lives of their kids and helping them grow up to be healthy, normal adults. And of course, ironically, anytime you talk to a single mom, she will always tell you, you know, if if my husband would only have been a father to my children, and and therein lies the challenge. A good look at Whisker Rubs, the new book written by my guest today, Don Otis. Look at developing the masculine identity. The new book, by the way, which is published by Living Inc., available at bookstores throughout the Bay Area as well as through Amazon.com. And uh, as always, Don, we appreciate the time and the insights. Well, that's going to do it for this edition of Lifeline. Thanks so much for being with us. And if there was anything you heard on today's show that you'd like to hear again or share with a friend, grab a copy of the Lifeline podcast. Simply log on to KFAX.com. That's KFAX.com for the Lifeline podcast. Our producer is Wanda Sanchez. I'm Craig Roberts. Till next time around, remember, just don't keep the faith. Get out there and share it and make it a great evening. So long. Opinions expressed in the preceding program do not necessarily represent the views of the ownership, staff, or management of KFAX. Copyright Salem Communications, all rights reserved. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.